For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father God, we lift up uh, this morning's reading to you, Lord God. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, our desire is to just see the word working in our life, God. Calling us to faith, building us up. God, rooting us in your word, establishing us in truth. God, I pray that as we anchor ourselves to you, that you transform us, that we see real change in our lives, that we see the fingerprints of, of you all around us. Lord, we lift up uh, this time to you, God, and we ask your blessing and your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue our journey through the book of Colossians, we're, we're meeting kind of the crux of, of Paul's point and purpose as we started the letter. And that is this call that Paul has to teach to maturity. And we, especially in the United States, we struggle with this idea. Well, what do I mean? Um, teaching to maturity, meaning we, we don't try to, to shelter from all the possible downfalls of life. Anybody found themselves to be really successful in that anyway? But rather than trying to shelter from those things, we, we try to teach through them. Whoever had their, woo! Is that better? Wow. The tricky O on, the, the tricky on off button. That's O N O F F. It's hard to. I'll try to remember that the next time. Anyway, I'm watching this guy. And, and all these other kids out there are watching him. And he's teaching the youth. And he says to them, look, you guys just need to come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. And I, and I had to stop for a minute and I said, I need that Jesus. Because in my life, I still have problems. And the truth is, Jesus himself said that. Jesus himself said that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome. And the point is that Jesus, to his disciples, he didn't tell his disciples, hey guys, you know what? Life is going to be amazing and you're not going to have any troubles here. No, you know what he said? I'm sending you out as sheep to the slaughter. Well, that doesn't sound good, does it? That seems like, like uh, that seems more like what life really is. Now, not that he doesn't give us victory over the struggles, he does. But the idea that there aren't going to be any, I, I haven't found that to be true. 
Paul wants to teach to maturity, meaning you want to grow. Your faith needs to be established and rooted in something so that when the waves come, you're still standing. When the storm comes. You know, I was blown away watching reports of the, of the Bahamas. Because you look at, you know, a hurricane's not supposed to stop. That hurricane parked. The whole nature of a hurricane, guys, is that the winds are swirling and it keeps moving. But it parked over the Bahamas. And it dumped in the storm and the wind and the waves and the water and they're horrific things. We need to keep those guys in prayer. There's, there's great outreach efforts going on into the Bahamas to, to help. But, but their point is, life gets like that. Sometimes the hurricane parks on us. And sometimes when things go from, from bad to worse, the question is, in that, will you still be rooted? Or as soon as the wind blows, does it, does it all go away? Jesus told a story. I like Jesus. He told lots of stories. He said, look, a wise man builds his house on the rock. Right? And when the winds come, he doesn't say the winds won't come. He says, when the winds come, when the storm blows, it stays standing. A foolish man builds his house on the sand. And when the winds come and the storm blows, it falls. And great is this collapse. And the point that is, Jesus saying, are you rooted in me? Are you rooted in the rock? And the point that Paul's making in Colossians chapter 2, these first seven verses of chapter 2, it's the same thing. It's a call to say, I want to teach you to maturity. I want you to be rooted. I want you to be established. I want you to be built up. But what you're rooted in and built on and established in matters. And so he lays out for us this this great call, this call to being taught to maturity. And he begins with this idea, the effort of the teacher. If we're working toward maturity, there's an effort that takes from the teacher. Look what it says in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle. Agonatsomai. How great a struggle. Agonatsomai. Sounds like an English word, doesn't it? It should sound like the word agonize. Agonatsamai means to struggle, to contend. And it's a word that, that, that indicates great effort. Not just a little effort, not just a little trying, great effort. He says, I want you to know the great struggle, this agony that I, that I bring to the situation that I have for you because he cares. Because he cares. Listen, have you, someone in your life or surroundings, that you could describe as someone you agonize over? And the reason you agonize over them, not because you hate them or because you, you're frustrated, it's because you love them. And perhaps you agonize because you love them and you want to see them do well. I know as a parent, I agonize over all my kids. Every single one of them. And it don't matter how old they are. The minor starting to near... Well, they're, they're entering their 30s, which in my brain means they're getting close to 40, which scares me, <laughs> right? That my kids could be 40 years old. But anyways, the idea that even though they're, they're at that age, they have families, they're doing well, it does not stop the great struggle that I have within me to see my children do well. And I could care less how much they make or any of that stuff. I want to know that they walk with the Lord. That's what John wrote when when John was talking to the church. He says, no greater joy does a father have than to know his children walk with the Lord. They're walking with him. He says, I want you to know this great struggle I have for you and for those of Laodicea. This is all the same area, Colossae, Laodicea. And for all those who have not seen my face. Paul loved the church. He loved the ones who came to faith, not just because they saw him and he talked to them, but there were people. There was this idea in the church. There was this thing I grew up in in the the late 60s, early 70s, where it was the craziest thing. We, We actually brought people to church. It was nutty. 
We, I remember having a Volkswagen bus. You guys remember Volkswagen buses? Remember having a Volkswagen bus and my parents and we'd pull up and beep beep and shoot the door would open up and a bunch of hoodlums come running out of the house, jump in the bus, close a close a Volkswagen bus. Where are y'all going? We're going to church. There was this thing where the the excitement and the and the uh, just the love that we had for the Lord was was transmitted in reaching out to other people. And I know we have that same thing here where we're talking to others and we're inviting others and people are coming and being a part and, and joining in. And, and so for Paul, there were people who were getting saved he never witnessed to. But he says, I still struggle for you. I want to see you do well. That's why the Holy Spirit moved holy men of old to pen... The scripture, because Paul's not going to live forever, right? He's not going to live forever. At some point, Paul's going to go. So what does he do? He's, he's penning, he's writing these letters, he's putting doctrine on paper, and praise God that God, through the tenacity of the text and his <coughs> sovereign providence, he brought that to us. We still have it. And the crazy thing is, we don't, we're not just reasonably sure, we're absolutely certain. We're absolutely certain as we look at the things that Paul wrote us. We have the doctrine that he, he, he's saying, man, I, my, I, I struggle, I agonize, and I want you guys to know what it is you need to be rooted in. What you need to be built upon. So he's saying, man, I have this great love. And this is a spiritual battle that he has in his heart over all the people of the Lycus Valley. Laodicea, Colossae. So what is his main objective? He says in, in the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, his main objective is encouragement and maturity. He wants them to grow. He says, I want you, I want you to understand that your hearts would be encouraged that you would be knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of of understanding and knowledge as we look at the scripture and as the scripture lays out paul cared about people growing about people moving on we we it's just funny because i we do this in i hate to use the word religion so but but i don't want to confuse you but we do this in religion we don't do this in relationship what do I mean? In religion, you stop growing. You get to a point and you say, I'm good. In relationship, you never stop. And you know that's true in your relationships. Right? Husbands, wives, friends. If your friends, if you have a, a very dear friend, and you don't consistently pursue that relationship, you don't have a very dear friend. Eventually, you lose touch. And they drift away somewhere, and you drift away somewhere, and that's just how that works. In religion, we go to a point, we think we got all our boxes checked, we have an understanding of certain things, and we stop. We say, okay, I'm good. But the Lord tells us through Hosea, the Lord tells us through most of the prophets, that what He's looking for from us is faithfulness to Him and a desire to know Him. Now, what is that? That's relationship, isn't it? Now, does it, does it include ritual? Are there rituals we partake in? Sure, there are rituals we partake in that mark moments in our life. Well, like baptism, right? <laughs> baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. It's saying to the, to the world, Hey, I'm dead to the old me and I'm alive to the new. I go under the water, I come back up. It's a symbol of what God's already done in my heart. We have, we have rituals and stuff that we, that we follow, and we, but that's not the end of our pursuit, is it? I get baptized and now I know Jesus completely? Or I stand up and proclaim that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, now do I know Him completely? What about in your job, your vocation? Whatever you do for a living... Do you just absolutely have it so mastered there's nothing left to learn? If that's true, other people are surpassing you. Other people who are continually growing and understanding things because for them, there's a pursuit. 
Look, what Paul is telling us is that our relationship with Jesus Christ is a pursuit. It's not an achievement. It's not a boom, I got it. And now that's the end. I, I've never moved on. I've never grown. I'm, Paul is saying, I, I want you to grow. I have a son who is autistic. And my son grows much slower than my other children did. He still lives at home, probably will live at home for my natural life. He's not able to go outside. He's, it's, it's a great joy as I watch him grow in, within his ability to grow, but it'd be a greater joy if he was able to grow completely. I don't wanna, I don't wanna find myself stalled and stale. I want to grow the way the Lord calls me to grow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9 says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, for you know how, like a father to his children, we exhorted each of you, and we encouraged you, And we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now the whole point of walking worthy, it's not like somehow you became worthy, whatever. We put put different understanding on the word worthy. Let Let me tell you what it means scripturally. The word worthy means of equal weight to. Oh, you've heard practice what you preach. You say, if if I say I'm this, then my life ought to show it, right? So he's saying, look, I encourage you and I charge you to walk worthy of equal weight with your profession of faith. Be real. Be real with what you believe, because what you believe is actually going to come out. We want to see people growing. We want them to understand. So when we look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, you have the same idea. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the effect of the body as we grow, as we mature, what are we looking for? We're looking for loving fellowship. We're looking for loving fellowship. Hearts are encouraged. Being knit together. Being knit together. One of the things I've come to understand is this concept of being knit together. My wife has unknit her humerus <coughs> two years in a row skin. She broke her arm. And so the, the process of having the plates, uh, surgery and having plates screwed in twice, um, has led us to the point where we are pretty consistently waiting for the bones to knit together. If your bones don't knit together, you know what good the bone is? Not much good. What happens in the body of Christ if the body of Christ is not knit together in love? If we're not being united, coming together. Now look, I'm not talking about us uniting over lies, uniting over things that are false. In a minute I'll tell you what it is we are uniting over. But as we unite, we need to be knit together. We got to be whole. Otherwise we're fractured. Otherwise we're filled with schismata. Kathy hasn't been able to uh, kayak. She loves a kayak. Last year she kayaked. After she broke her arm this year, she couldn't. Because the bones not knit together. And so you can't put too much pressure on it. Or what happens? It breaks. How many times in church do we see that in relationships in church? Things aren't quite knit together. And something happens. And what happens? It breaks. Relationships break. People break. Things get broken. He's saying, look, part of the effect of maturity in the body of Christ is that we learn to knit together in love. We can knit together in love and still disagree. It's okay. We can knit together in love and have multiple political opinions. Yes, it's possible. We can be knit together in love because what knits us together is not our politics. 
What knits us together is, is not our opinions. What knits us together is Christ. He's it. He's the thing. He's the one. That's what unites us. That's what knits us together. So we need this loving fellowship. Now here's what I want you to understand. As we look at this section, hearts being encouraged, being knit together in love, only happens in community. It only happens when we get together. It would be easier to stay home. It would be easier not to go to church. It would be easier not to go to Bible study. It'd be easier not to go to women's Bible study. It'd be easier not to go to this thing or that thing. Why? Because anytime you're together in community, there's a chance someone's going to hurt you. But remember how we started? We said, Jesus taught to maturity. He didn't say, hey, I'm sending you out as sheep in a totally safe environment where you never have to worry about those things. No, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That's not good. There's a chance you'll get bit. There's a chance there may be some tearing. But there's a greater chance that you can be knit together in love. It's just a matter of the attitude you bring. It's just a matter of where your roots are set. But it only happens in community. I am knit together with myself in love anytime I just sit in my closet and don't do anything. I'm not offended by anyone. I'm not frustrated by anyone. Nothing happens it, as soon as one other person enters that circle. Immediately there is conflict. You don't believe me? I study it in my office perfectly at peace. My world was calm. No storms. And in walked a puppy. And that was the end of the calm. So the rest of the time in the room was me going, Stop, 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 stop. I go, okay, I know the problem. I went down and I got 47 bones. And I brought 47 bones up. And I put 47 bones on the floor. So you got so many things to chew on. Chew on everything that's on the floor. And it doesn't want to chew on the bones. It wants to chew on my boots. It doesn't want to chew on the bones. It wants to chew on a book. Doesn't want to chew on a book, wants to chew on a carpet. And will chew on a carpet, wants to chew on the chair. And, and all I'm going is from conflict to conflict to conflict. You know, people are the same way. We're the same way. We're messy. We, we, we actually have problems. Sorry. If you don't have any problems, it's probably not the church for you. This is a first assembly of problems. We, we want understanding. Look, we're coming together and we're saying, look, there's problems. And as soon as you put two people together, there's going to be some issues. Well, and then what happens if you put 20? What if, what if 30? 40? Okay, but that's how you get knit together in love. You only get knit together in love in community. You have to be in community for this to happen. We need to understand and. In uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1, it tells us that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. We don't come together just to grow in knowledge. We come together so that we can build one another up in love. In love. It was funny. I went to a pastor's thing. So, I, 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 I hate getting together with other pastors. We stopped the tape recorder so this doesn't go out to Big Calvary. <clears throat> I, I don't like, um, what is it, what do, you, what do you call it? You do it so well, babe. Socializing, yes. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that one. No, not socializing. Um, networking. You ever, you ever see people in a, in a room network? I know, probably a lot of you guys are really good at it. I just am awkward. I'm socially awkward. I don't know what to say to people. People walk up to me and go, hi. And I say hi. And then we look at each other. <laughs> and then I think, I think, okay, so they're probably expecting me to say something. Um, um, and I just say something stupid. Or they do. You know, the very first thing the pastor said to me when I walked in, he goes, wow, you look different. 
I was tempted. Different how? What do you mean? Um, but so, so I, I have a hard time in those situations. And then, so afterwards, we, we have this thing. It's at Mountain Home every month. that We do one in Twin and one in Mountain Home for the uh, uh, pastors in the area. And we pray and we talk. And it's, it's an encouraging time, but it's a struggle to want to go. And as, uh, as we're leaving, Jason says, Man, what is the deal when all you pastors get together that it's so awkward? I was like, wow, you can feel it too? He's like, yeah, it's, it's weird. I says, yeah, because most pastors are socially awkward animals. They're not, or there's a few that are gifted extroverts, but I, I bet there's a lot less than, than most people think. But here's the attitude you have to go with. You have to go and say, I'm going to reach out and try to be friendly and love people. I'm just going to try to love them. And, and if you do that, you become a, a tool in the master's hand in that meeting to begin to make that happen. There's another way you can go. You can come and you can sit down, and I've done this countless times. Come and I sit down in a chair, and I look like, um, like I've been baptized in lemon juice. I'm sitting in a chair, and I said, I bet, I bet nobody's going to come over here and talk to me. And I look like this. Do you know what happens? Nobody comes talk to me. Why? Because they look at me and they go, dude, I'm not talking to that guy. That, look at that guy. I, everybody else is like on the edge. Like, oh, how am I going to do this? And, and they look at that guy with that, with that bad attitude and they go, yeah, that's going to be a problem. So I try to avoid a problem. I look for somebody who has a smile on their face. Somebody who looks like it's safe. And that's where you go. If you come to church with the attitude that says, man, I'm going to look for somebody I can love. I'm going to look for someone I can hug. I can look for someone that I want to encourage. Say a kind word to. Then you become a part of the solution. Right? And all of a sudden, people start feeling more comfortable and things are less awkward. But it only happens in community. Those things only happen when we come together. Ephesians 3, verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in love, that our hearts may be encouraged being knit together. Rooted and grounded, looking for someone to care for. Colossians 2.19, we won't get there today, but Colossians 2.19 says this, and, when, when, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together. So, so how is it that we're knit together? We're knit together by the head. So we want to hold on to the head. Who's the head? It's not me. Who's the head? The head is Jesus. Jesus is the head. He's the one that knits the whole body together. He's the one we're rooted and grounded in. That's why we're rooted and grounded in love. Why do we say that we're rooted and grounded in love? Because the Bible tells that God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. That we see one of the first activities of God was love. The problem is... We stop in our growth and we think there are two different gods. We think there's a different God in the Old Testament than there is in the New. But the God of the Old Testament loved. He loved long-sufferingly. Just like you do. He loved and he loved and he loved for hundreds of years until there was a moment when he couldn't love anymore and he needed to do something. And then it started again. Loving, loving, loving. Everybody ignores that. They go, oh, it's just a bunch of judging and killing and destroying. Oh, here's what I know then. You haven't read it. You ain't read it. I've read it. I've studied it. It's filled with the long-suffering love of God. Everywhere I look, God is love. We need to hold fast to Him, and He will knit us together. So not only is there loving fellowship, but there's also growing fellowship. Look what it says. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. And the cool thing is He's going to tell us what that is in a minute. 
We are, I love alls. I love alls in the Bible. To reach all the riches of full assurance. That's a lot of riches, right? Is there a riches you think is left out? All riches, even if I say all kinds of riches, it's still all riches, right? All the riches of full assurance. Are you fully assured of your relationship with the Lord? Because it says you can reach all the riches of full assurance. A full assurance of understanding. A full assurance of knowledge of God's mystery. It's proclaiming that we can have this. Full assurance of understanding. Full assurance of knowledge. The supply is unlimited. Why is the supply unlimited? Because last week we saw that Christ in you is your hope of glory. And there's nothing he can't write a check for. He's got it all. He is everything, literally everything we need. Full assurance, complete wisdom, all understanding. Second Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did it say? It doesn't say grow in the grace and knowledge of all the doctrine you can put your hands on. It doesn't say grow in all the grace and knowledge of all the theology you can put your hand on. And I do all those things too. What is it we're supposed to grow in? All the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's the seat of it all. He's the source of it all. He's, the, he's where we have to go. If we're going to grow, we must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. People tell me all the time, I'm, I'm struggling with this, or I'm struggling with that, or I'm struggling with this. And I say the answer is always the same. But biblical counseling is really short for me, because ultimately what we need to do is seek Jesus. Seek Him. But you don't understand, I'm, I'm struggling with, with drugs and alcohol. Seek Jesus. I'm having a hard time in my marriage. Seek Jesus. I'm struggling knowing whether I should go left or right, what I should do. Seek Jesus. Nothing, the answers are the same. It's Him. He said, be faithful to me and know me. And know me. I have been... Learning about my wife for 33, going on 34 years. And I'm going to learn about my wife until God takes me home. I'm going to finish that covenant. I'm going to finish that race. We said, till death do us part, and I'm going to learn about her till death do us part. That's faithful love. God says, I want your faithful love. I want you to know me. We find the source of our growth and maturity when we seek Him. Look, the secret is Christ. He's the treasure that we need. It says, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery. What is it? Which is Christ. Oh, the mystery has been solved. What is the mystery? The mystery is, the secret is, Christ. The secret is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The secret to you is the pursuit of Christ. Look, I, tr- I tried to explain it last week, and, and, and you know, um, I, I want to be able to get the idea across that as God has been revealing Himself throughout time, the perfect revelation of God is Jesus Christ. The last revelation of God is Jesus Christ. It's... It's in Him. Say, I want to know. I want to know what God's like. I want to know what God wants. I want to know what it's in Him. The only, one and only, true God in the bosom of the Father is Jesus Christ. God, as Yahweh, is not worldly. He's not of this world. I, I've said this before. Have you ever seen a Yahweh before? No? No, nope. then you're not an expert, right? You haven't spent your life studying a Yahweh. You can't look at it through a microscope. You can't look at it through a telescope. So what we have to go by is what he tells us about himself, right? He tells us. 
he reveals himself to us. We're limited by our language and our understanding. God's not, but I am. Do you know that there's only so many things I can learn? You know how I know that? I took college math. Oh, no, I did. I'm, I, I was finishing up my degree, and so I'm working my way through, and one of the dumb requirements was math. One of the things I did when I went to school was I took all the classes I wanted. I don't care about the piece of paper. I said, I want, give me the classes. Here's the classes I want for what I would have in a, with a bachelor's of theology. So I took all those classes. But when it came to English, math, history, I checked out. Peace. I'm done. So I, so I, so I left. So then this last year I went back and I took math. Lord have mercy on my soul. I felt like the biggest moron on the planet. I don't know. Don't know. This is not calculus I'm doing. No, I bet I could have found any of your fifth graders to help me out. Man, I I understand. I know that my understanding is limited. But Jesus' isn't. And He loves us so much that He's willing to cross the chasm of infinite understanding to walk in the flesh and present Himself to you and I for closer inspection. What are you like, God? Let me show you. That's where we learn it. That's where we see it. He is the, the, the end of all mystery. It's in Christ. He's the secret. He's the treasure. He's what we need. And He's the source. Look, in whom are hidden... What's, it, what's the next word? All. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many? All of them. Well, I don't know. You know, we, we struggle with... Uh, with ideas about a lot of things. There's a lot of people with a lot of gifts. And a lot of those gifts maybe make it so that you can be uh, fairly successful in life. And, and praise God, that's awesome. But that doesn't guarantee that you're able to be successful in, in a relationship or a walk with the Lord. Because your ability to be successful in a relationship with the Lord means you obey Him. What if what he asks you doesn't make sense? Well, God never asks you to do that, does he? Yeah, that's what, that's what Joshua said. Joshua said, God, God never makes me do things. That, that, he doesn't do things that I, that I wouldn't understand until he got to Jericho, right? Right before he gets to Jericho and they're about to have this big battle, God says, hey, you know what, Joshua? Well, this would be a really good plan. I think we should have all the men circumcised right now. Because if you're going to battle in a couple of days, that's what you need to do. Huh? We, let's just get everybody circumcised three days before we invade. And then, so, so then Joshua takes it to the troops, to the generals, right? He goes to the generals. Hey guys, got a, got a great plan. We're going to get circumcised now. We're what? First they cross the Jordan, so they're on the other side looking at Jericho, and then they do it. They get circumcised. That was the beginning step of going in and saying, what's our battle plan? Walking around the city. What's that going to do? That's what God said to do. See, it's, or, or, is he the source of all wisdom and knowledge or not? Is he the source? Because there's been a lot of guys. Gideon's got this huge army, but he's got to fight this this army that's already three times bigger than his. Three times bigger. Oh, okay, Lord, we we could use a few more men. God says, no, you have too many. Tell them if they don't want to be here, go home. What do you think happened in the Marine Corps if you did that? (laughs) If you asked all the guys out there in the sand right now, hey, if you don't want to be here, go home. Oh, no, I'm sure some will stay. Yeah, that's okay. There's always some. In the case of Gideon, it whittled down to 300. Okay, God says, now you have enough. Is that wisdom? 
It's God's wisdom. Will you be obedient to God when he calls? He is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Does he know things you don't? Yeah. Can you trust him? You can. We need to. Not only that, was there a day when wisdom wasn't with God? Yet had a day when there was no wisdom with him? No. No, because Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. He is wisdom. Proverbs 1. Proverbs 8. He is the wisdom of God. It says in Luke 11.49, Jesus telling a story, He says, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Jesus describing the sending of the prophets. Oh, he said the wisdom of God sent the prophets. In Matthew 23, 34, talking about the same section of Scripture, Jesus said, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men, scribes, some of them you will kill, crucify, flog in your synagogues, persecute from town to town. One, he said he was the wisdom of God. Second, he said it's me, Jesus. Colossians chapter 2 says that in him, Jesus Christ, is all wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians one thirty, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. He's all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in him. So where's our focus? Our focus is to know him. I need to know Him. I need to become so intimately aware of of Him. I need to pursue Him. Scripture, there are a couple of places in Scripture that talk about this. One, God says, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Right? You guys heard that before? It's Jeremiah 29, 13, something like that. When we go to um, uh, Romans... Paul says, there are none who seek after God. But then I go to the Old Testament, and I look in the Old Testament, and I see place after place after place where the kings would say, hey, give me a priest, let's seek after the Lord, what we should do. So so what's really going on? Well, you spend a little time in the Word, and this is what you realize. People always seek God. For what they can get from him. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to do. Heal me. Fix me. Solve this problem. Solve that problem. But none seek him. So he says in Jeremiah 29. You'll find me if you seek me. You'll find me. If you seek me. Come to me. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. He's calling for us to seek after him. He is the root of all wisdom and understanding. He's the root of it all. So the purpose of teaching to maturity. Why are we teaching to maturity? Christ is the center of all wisdom. He's the center of all of these things that we've been discussing. So, so what's the point of it? He says in verse 4 of Colossians 2, I say this in order that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. So, so why is it that he's telling us about the centrality of Christ and growing to maturity? Why is he laying these things out for us? To resist false teaching. How do I resist false teaching? I hold fast to the truth, the way, the truth, the life. Not what somebody says about him, what he says. What he says. What is it that we know about the Lord? How do we understand the Lord? Because it will keep us from false conclusions. Now, how do we work our way through false conclusions? Again, this only happens in community. That we sit together and we discuss things. And maybe when you discuss something, you ever had an idea and you get together with some friends and you discuss this idea and then somebody points something out you hadn't thought about? 
And you go, oh yeah, that might not work. No, has that ever happened to you? This is how this happens in community. We come together in community. We talk about Jesus in community. We get together and study Him in community. Why? So that if we've got sideways ideas or weird ideas, we can talk about it. Not so that you can be hurt or so that you can think somebody didn't think so much of of your idea. No, just so you can know Him more. So you can know Him. So that you can understand Him. Man, we want to understand in community. This is not meant to say we have, are supposed to be afraid of other people's opinions. There's a lot of things you can have opinions about, right? But we work our way through those opinions by coming together and discussing those things. It's a call to engage ideas in faith rooted in Christ. Work our way through. He says, I say this, that you would not be deluded. Led astray. It literally, the word delude means to reckon wrong. Have you ever reckoned wrong? You ever added wrong? Holy cow, I added wrong in that math class so many times. That, that was my first, I, I squeaked out an A in that class. And I do mean with a capital S-Q, squeaked out. Every other class was easy. Theology is a piece of cake compared to math. Oh, Lord have mercy. Have you ever reckoned wrong? Have you ever thought something was one way and found out it was different? Well, then the point is, if we understand that, we should understand that that same thing's going to happen as we study about Christ, as we want to understand Him, as we want to walk in Him, as we want to live in Him. We want to be open to growth. We want to be open to understanding, but we don't want to be deluded. We don't want to be fooled by a a plausible argument. We want to stay rooted in Christ Understanding that He's the, the point, that He's the source of all wisdom. But not only that, He says, listen, that they will not delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Where? In Christ. Don't forget that part. Faith in faith won't do nothing. Faith in faith is useless. Faith in you is useless. Faith in me is useless. Faith where? Faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Our study, our hope, our wisdom, our knowledge, the source, the secret. It's all about Him. So what is He saying? I, I, I rejoice to see your good order. That word good order is, is just like the word discipline. I rejoice to see your good discipline. There are certain things we are disciplined about in life. Right? Come on, you guys are disciplined. You guys are disciplined in a lot of things. You're disciplined in your relationships. You're disciplined in your marriage. You're disciplined at work. There, there's an order of service, right? There's an order that you do things in. Anytime I ever learned a new job, I show up and they'd say, do it in this order. I try to listen. Because I assume they know what I don't. Being in good order is following good discipline. He says, I rejoice about your good discipline. The order, everything in its place. Everything in its place. A place for everything. Everything in its place. We have good discipline. We have order. Scripture lays out for us that order. That we might follow those things. And then he says, not only that, the firmness of your faith. Your stability. I rejoice over your discipline and your stability. You're stable. What are you stable in? Your faith in Christ. Your faith is yours. Your faith in Christ means your support. The foundation of your faith. What is the foundation of your faith? The foundation of our faith is Christ. The foundation of all we do is built on Him. Your faith. Equals your life built on Christ. Your life built on Christ. That's your faith. We move forward in that. We want to see. That's the point. That's the point of teaching the maturity. Of understanding. Of growth. So what's the pattern? We've talked about teaching maturity. What's that look like? Well that's what verse 6 and 7 is about. Colossians chapter 2. Therefore he says. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him. As you received Him, so walk. 
In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now being perfected in the flesh? We receive Christ. It's the same way we walk in Christ. We receive Him in the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit. The big key is to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, how is it that I'm led by the Spirit of God? I need to know Him. I need to know Jesus. And His Spirit leads me. I want to know Him. I want to understand. So He starts with a simple definition. As you receive, so walk. And then He gives us a description. What do I mean? What what do you mean? As you received, so walk. He describes it. Rooted, built up, and established in the faith. Rooted, built up, and established. Now here's here's a a short English lesson. Uh, These are all verbs, and they're all passive. That means this is something someone else does for you, or to you. See, the point of being gathered together in community, that you might be knit together in love, united under the the body of Christ, is also so that you might be rooted, rooted in Christ. Also so you can be built up or built upon. Once you are rooted, think of the tree. A tree is not a tree just because there's a root. But the root is the source of life. What's the source of life for a believer? Jesus Christ. So if I've got the root, right, I'm attached to the vine, I'm attached to the life-giving force, Jesus Christ, I'm rooted in Him, then I need to be built upon. Right? The tree does what? Grows. It grows. Being built upon, it's talking about that growth. How does that growth happen? I have this discipleship that I've experienced. I've been plugged into a community of Christ, so I'm rooted in Him. And as I'm rooted in Him, He begins to build upon me. I grow. I grow. The tree grows. It's rooted in Christ. It's built upon. So it's knowing Him more and more and growing. And then it's established in the faith. How do I know when it's established? How do I know when the tree is established? It brings forth fruit. He's drawn out the picture for it. How do I grow? You have to be rooted in Christ. That root in Christ needs to be built upon so you know Him more and more and more. And you're established in the faith. You know that tree is established when it bears fruit. When it bears fruit. The word established means to confirm with evidence. To take the things that you learn and apply them in your life. And when you apply them in your life, it brings forth fruitfulness. We want to see the fruitfulness of God working in and through your life. So this is what he's talking about. This is the pattern of maturity. This is how we teach. Rooted in Christ. He's the secret. He's the source. He's everything. We're rooted in Him. And as we root in Him, we grow as we learn about Him. We grow, the tree grows, and we apply the things we learn in our life, and fruitfulness takes place. And now we see that the tree is established in the faith, grown in what it believes. You see, what you believe shows in your life. Don't, I don't know if you really know that. What you believe shows in your life. If it's not seen in your life, you don't believe it. It's just how it is. If you believe it, then you see it. I was so abundantly clear in all my years of coaching. How many times I had kids come to me and tell me how they were, or their parents telling me how, how great they were at whatever sport we were doing. Well, the, 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 the truth is evident. Yeah? What you believe 
where your faith is rooted will come through in your life. So as we grow, Paul's call to grow, as we receive Christ, walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Take heed to what the Word of God says. And what's that last phrase? We can't leave that last phrase out. Abounding in thanksgiving. Man, the attitude of growth is being thankful. Being thankful. A lot of people can go through a lot of hard things in life and still be thankful. They can be thankful because they're rooted in Christ. They can be thankful because He's the secret. He's the source. He is the fullness of all wisdom and understanding. He's everything that we need. In fact, it's so simple. It's just one rule. I need to pursue Christ. I need to seek after Him. He says, if I seek after Him with my whole heart, Him, I want Him, I'll find Him. I'll grow. I'll be established. And I will abound in thanksgiving. That's part of the fruit. Abounding in thanksgiving. doesn't matter what's happening. We're always able to abound in thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this. Giving, or give thanks in all circumstances. Wow. For this is the will of God. What's God's will for my life? Well, here you go. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will. Give thanks. Well, it's hard to give thanks when my focus is on the trouble. Hard to give thanks when my focus is in the heartache. It's hard to give thanks in all those things. But if I'm rooted in Christ, who is the secret and the source, the answer to the mystery, the the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and understanding what to do, where to go, how to do it, if it's all wrapped up in Him and I've laid my root into Christ then I'm thankful. I'm thankful. No matter what. Because I already have everything I need in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come before you, that we can study your word, that we can open it up. God, I'm so thankful, God, that Revelation says that Jesus Christ, the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ is, he has a name written on him, the Word of God. That John 1, 1 begins with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God face to face, and the Word was God. Wow. The God, the Word. The wisdom of God. The understanding of God. All the treasures are all wrapped up in the gift of Jesus Christ. That we might know Him. That we might lay hold of Him. That we may be rooted in Him. And built upon Him. And bearing fruit in Him. All the other things. The dust will settle if we focus on Christ. If I focus on Christ, I will be the best pastor I can be. If I focus on Christ, I will be the best father, the best husband, the best employer, the best employee. Because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the ways of God. Wrapped up in the beauty of His Son. So you call us, God, to know Him. And the key to growing is knowing Him. I want to mature. I want to become the man that you want me to be. But you want me to become that man as I know you. And I know you as you are revealed in your Son. I know you as you are revealed in the Word. So God, may that be our pursuit. To know you. To understand the fellowship of suffering. To see the power of your resurrection as you transform our lives. 
All of those things are rooted in one place. God, may we let our roots sink deep, that our faith is in Christ, not in the church. That our faith is in Christ, not in the pastor. That our faith is in Christ, our pursuit is Christ. That we might know you. That we would walk in faithful love with you. That it wouldn't be a religion that we learned about and stopped, but it'd be a relationship we pursue. And Lord, be glorified as we seek to walk as we received you. That we would walk in you. One of the most beautiful sections of scripture is that in the cool of the evening, God walked with Adam. And one day in the restoration of creation, that's going to happen again. God's going to walk with us in the cool of the evening. And we won't need a sun or a moon because the Lord is light. We'll have you. God, I just pray that we recognize, Lord, as you move, as you work out the redemption of man. Lord, may we trust you. May our faith ever grow because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God as we pursue you. So God, may we become trees planted by the water of life that are established and rooted in you, bearing fruit. Because you are the main thing. That which unites us together in love. God, be glorified in this place as we look to you, God. And if there be anybody here today who does not know you and they seek to know you, God, I pray that they would come forward as the prayer counselors come up on the last song, that they would seek an opportunity to be led into the throne of grace. Oh Lord, if we are struggling, needs or wants, Lord, I pray those people would bring those requests before to the prayer counselors and have them lifted up together. How beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity, unified by a relationship in Christ. So God, be glorified as we close out this service, Lord. Be magnified as we go into the world that we might be ever-living examples who you are in us that the truth of what we say we believe is seen in our walk and we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus name Amen Jesus, you brought me.
silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory. work on the cross, God. And we just pray as we go from this place, Lord, that we would be your light, that we would be your hands and your feet, Lord, that we would love our friends and our enemies and anyone that we come in contact, Lord, with.